Greetings. Welcome to the How We Do Digital Ministry Podcast. I'm Christopher Harris, founder of Faith Growth, where you can find us online at faithgrowth.com, where we help our church clients build their digital presence and engage with their communities online. On this podcast, I have a conversation with a church leader and ask them to share how they do digital ministry in their own community. Today, I'm talking with the Reverend Jim Keat. Jim, please introduce yourself and tell us how you do digital ministry. Oh, if that's not a loaded question, oh, I don't yes. know what it is, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I, I'm so glad to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, I uh, wear a couple of different hats in the world. Uh, I'm the digital minister at the Riverside Church, which is in New York City. It's a 92-ish, I think 92, 91-year-old church in uh, the Upper West Side in West Harlem. Um, it's literally the tallest church in North America, which is kind of cool. And uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s preached there a dozen or so times, along with uh, many other incredible figures. So no pressure when you set and step into that pulpit there. Uh, <laughs> so I'm the digital minister there. And then addition, in addition to that, in whatever free time I have, I'm the director of online innovation at Convergence, uh, which is an organization that does coaching, consulting, and resources for churches and faith communities, helping them move from organized religion to organizing religion. Sure. So I get to help churches um, similar to this conversation. Think about how they can do online church and digital ministry and uh, whatever the next step for their work might be. Wonderful. Well, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on uh, is that, you know, your title, digital minister and um, <laughs> at Riverside. And also, you know, this is not post-pandemic. This You've been doing this much longer, uh, you know, I don't know how long, but I know that you were in that role before the pandemic hit. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what what is your role as digital uh, pastor, digital minister there at uh, Riverside? And, uh, you know, what is, you know, kind of your typical day look like, I guess? Yeah, well, it's definitely evolved quite a bit, as one would expect, given the what the past, you know, almost two years now has been, 20 months, I think, is my last count. Um, but I, I, I've i always worked at Riverside with an intentional focus on our online content, digital content, our digital ministry. Uh, I, I was working previously at Middle Collegiate Church in New York, phenomenal congregation, if anyone knows of them. They're definitely worth following to see all the incredible online things they're up to. Um, and I was the Minister of Education there, and I always had this itch for just what the church could do in online spaces. So in that role, I would you know explore video content and podcast content as a part of our uh, education ministry. And I just really wanted to dive in deeper with what it could look like for a church to take seriously these online spaces. I, I think I, I was convinced, you know, five, six years ago that the internet wasn't a fad. And I think that's still true today. So I just got in touch with um, who the, the senior pastor at the time at Riverside, who was a friend of mine. And we just went out for coffee and talked a bit about what I was thinking, what she was thinking. And that um, led to a lot of other conversations, which brought me onto their clergy staff working in the communications department. Um, so I, at that time, Riverside really had a lot of clergy who were kind of in a kind of bivocational sense, not that we did some other job on the side of working at the church, but that we were clergy, but we kind of worked within the church in kind of a non-typical clergy role. So we had like a minister of stewardship and development, a minister of communications, people who were specialized in this kind of other area who brought both that expertise and kind of the pastoral clergy mindset as well. So I kind of entered that arena with that kind of um, clergy role and communications role, but I kept wanting to go deeper and deeper with um, 
prioritizing our online congregation, our online community. We've Riverside's been live streaming our Sunday morning services for almost a decade. Um, so we always had people who were engaged and you know participating. Often at that time, it was just watching Sunday morning worship. Uh, and I, I really wanted to take seriously, who are these people? And can we get to know them? And can we be intentional about um, cultivating and creating online content and online communities so that they can have that sort of connection and faith formation as well? So uh, I was working, leading our communications team at Riverside, uh, living in New York City. And then uh, spring of 2019, uh, I went to my boss and said, my wife and I are ready to leave New York, but I don't want to leave Riverside. Can we talk about how my job can be done remote? If not, here's my letter of resignation. And luckily she said, well, hold on to that letter of resignation. <laughs> Let's talk about your job. So we, we decided I wouldn't just direct run the comms team remote. We said, what if we rethought your role entirely? What if you really use this opportunity to connect with these remote congr uh, congregants and these people of our community who are spread across the country? Uh, so I would go visit them and get to know them and where they were and online. And so we said, what do you call this role? What do you call the person who's uh, a pastor who's prioritizing the work with our online community? I was like, well, what if we just called me the digital minister? Sure. So uh, summer of 2019, I began working as Riverside's digital minister. Uh, and, and that, you know, anyone who's checking their calendar, that's, you know, the summer before everything yeah. went all, all online and the pandemic hit us all. So I had a lot of colleagues and a lot of congregants who in that first year would scratch their heads and say, what the hell is a digital minister? And, and then a year later, oh, thank God we have a digital minister. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like that. Um, and I, you know, and I think that is because I agree with you even before the pandemic, I've always seen online as, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of where I've always connected with people and it's yeah. always been, you know, a part of my life since I was a real little kid, um, yep. or at least computers uh, didn't have the internet then, but, uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I like that you started taking that serious. Um, and then, you know, then everybody, yeah, the pandemic did really shift everybody's mindsets that, oh, wait, we can connect this way. Um, so tell me, you know, at, in your in your online work, where is a time or uh, experience, an experience that you've encountered God online or seen God at work online? Well, I, I remember probably 10, 12 years ago, I was speaking at a conference and I, I was talking about online church and digital ministry, you know, a decade ago. Um, and I, I had a slide, and I think I had a tweet somewhere with it as well, where I said, virtual isn't the opposite of real. Virtual is the opposite of physical. They are both real. Because people often think, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, well, these are my real friends. These are my Facebook friends. Or we'll do that in real life as if these online spaces aren't real. I mean, we're on Zoom right now, but I'm seeing you face to face. I just saw you drink your coffee or tea or whatever's in that cup. This is a real connection we're having. And, and I had that kind of hunch for a decade or, or more. And, and during these past 20 months, it has been incredibly fulfilling to see that hunch realized and actualized in so many ways and places. So discovering, uh, seeing congregants discover these online platforms as spaces for real connection with one another, 
I mean, to me, that's where I always see God showing up in congregational life anyway. It's in the the rubbing of shoulders of people with one another. And now, you know, it's just that digital version of that. I think specifically of, of a congregant at Riverside, Willa, who lives just across the Hudson River. I think she might even be able to see the church from where she lives. But uh, for the past six or seven years now, she hasn't um, been able to drive herself. Um, so she's unable to get into New York City on Sunday morning. So she hasn't been able to come to worship at Riverside for quite some time until the pandemic. And then worshiping online became such more of like, a oh, that's a thing I can do. And not only just, you know, being a part of the Sunday morning live stream, but then we have a virtual coffee hour on Zoom every Sunday after worship, where we have like a conversation with the preacher. And Willa is there every single week. And she talks about how she feels, she has felt more connected and closer to her Riverside congregants during this past 20 months of the pandemic than ever before in her time at Riverside. And to me, those moments of people having that connection with one another through these online spaces, that there, there is something divine going on in that. And that, and I know that's just one of many stories I've seen at Riverside and, and hundreds we've all encountered uh, during these months as well. And I'm so grateful for how God can work even in these online spaces like that. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, it's about the connections more than anything, which goes back to our the community. I mean, we're you know, we're built to be in community. Um, and I guess that's why I've always loved online. It's, it's helped yeah. facilitate that community for me in many different ways in my life. Um, so tell me, you know, kind of, I know y'all are doing online worship. What are some of the other things that y'all are doing online to kind of connect with people and engage, um, you know, in your ministry? Yeah, there's, there's a, a multifaceted approach to that. Um, and, and my, my kind of, well, my overarching philosophy, there's, there's two aspects to it. One, uh, I think that it, it, how do we foster spaces for people to connect with one another, connect with God? Uh, I, I think that in order for that to happen, sometimes you need like a, a spark to, to get, you know, the campfire started. My, my metaphor is this. Um, if, if, I, if you saw a campfire out in a field and a few chairs around it, you might think, hmm, I might go sit there and check out what's going on. If you just saw a circle of chairs in a dark field, you might think, I'm going to walk the other way. That looks creepy. <laughs> so I think that the the online content, whether it's uh, podcasts or videos or, or whatever sort of thing, live streams, those become the campfires around which people can gather to have those conversations. So they're important. It's important that you build the campfire so it's going to burn right, blah, 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 all that. I can, I can pontificate on how to build a campfire, too. I love to go camping. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's my mentality, I think. So a lot of my time is spent kind of with an awareness of both of those realities, creating the online content or helping consult with other colleagues or staff or clergy as they do it in their context, and then helping uh, have a sense of what is the community that's gathering around it. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of video content I'm producing, whether I'm, I'm making it or I'm working with other staff to have it made. Uh, you know, we, we, we experimented with TikTok this past year. Well, we experimented with vertical short form video, mm-hmm. which means TikTok. But we did that when YouTube shorts came out and when Instagram reels started rolling out thinking, OK, we can take one piece of 60 second vertical content posted on all three channels. Let's see how it performs. What's the kind of engagement? So just kind of experiment. TikTok definitely took off for us. So that spends a lot more of our time and strategy now, but just finding ways to, to cultivate and create the content in spaces where people are. So video stuff podcasts. We do uh, our sermon talk back 
as part of our virtual coffee hour after worship. That's also recorded and produced as a podcast in case people can't make it because that's done just on Zoom. Uh, it's if you if you want to if you're in the building, we have a kind of a Zoom setup where you can go to a room and participate. But we've designed virtual coffee hour with the online congregation as the primary audience. You know what a novel concept. Uh, so producing podcasts, we do a seasonal devotional podcast called Be Still and Go that I'm just now getting uh, things geared up for our Advent season. Um, so a lot of that, we we are literally today just uh, launched a kind of an online member network, kind of a, a private social network for our congregants to, to stay more connected with one another and share updates about congregational life. So there's lots of these kinds of avenues and platforms and, and just keeping my fingers in a lot of a lot of uh, uh, paint buckets as I'm seeing what goes onto the canvas. But more than anything, I look at my role as digital minister not to be the one who's doing all the digital ministry. I mean, really, that's the role of a pastor in general. Uh, or, or, you know, we have a, a mission in social justice uh, commission at our church, and, and they're not the ones who do all the social justice on behalf of our congregation. They're the ones who lead the way in that we can all do social justice. So similarly, as the digital minister, my role is to really know what's out there, know what's available, explore, experiment, see what's most viable, see how it can be best done so I can model best practices and do some of it, but then do it so I can get out of the way and consult my other colleagues so that they can do that work and they can be digital ministers as well. Uh, digital ministry is not a vertical silo in the church. It's a horizontal slab that covers every single thing. What is the digital ministry of worship, of stewardship, of education, of, of pastoral care, of social justice? It can't stand separate from those, but it has to be embedded in all of those. And if, and if I can't do it all myself, or I'm going to you know, burn out in two minutes in that case, Zoom fatigue is way too real in that sense. Oh, gosh, yes. Now, I like that, that every area has a digital ministry, and I think that's um, you know, I hope that a lot of churches don't just kind of stop with live streaming worship, you know, as they're, you know, as they're figuring out kind of what's next while they're, you know, hybrid or whatever. Um, and I like, you know, to me where I, where, what I've always said, which I heard in what you were saying is, you know, we have all this content. We just have to, you know, we're producing all this content as a church, but right now the model, uh, and has been, you know, come to us to start experiencing it. And now it's not, it's not about, Hey, you already know how to, you know, do devotions for, um, uh, Advent, you know, your example about the upcoming podcast. So now, instead of just like maybe writing a devotion, why don't we put a podcast to get, you know, so yep. now we start, you know, it's kind of that same principle of devotion and we've kind of always had a history of that, but learning how to publish digitally, um, so that we can connect that way where people are. And I really, you know, so I like that you have a big focus on the content. Um, and it's not the, you know, it's not the networks, it's not the tools necessarily, but it's like, hey, we're producing good content. And then we're kind of testing to see where we're getting response. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Which is both where are our congregants already? You know, if someone always says like, you know, what, what social network should I be on for my church? Well, my first question is always, what social network are your congregants on? That's an important question to ask. And then you also have to ask, what social network are the people on that I feel called to connect with and engage with? So those, those sometimes those are the same, but they're often not. I mean, most congregant, most congregations, I think, have their congregants on Facebook. As much as we all might love or maybe hate the platform, most church demographics seem to hit the Facebook category. At least it is in my experience. But I mean, if you want to think, I want to reach emerging generations, you know, all right, Facebook sure as hell isn't the place for that. You know, they're they're running off, jumping off that ship like nothing else. I mean, that's where for us. 
TikTok has been the space to say, oh, what can we reach new people we've never encountered before? But holding the two, you know, intention sometimes is necessary. Um, and, and I think around content, people often, it can be intimidating because people think I need to make original content. I need to, you know, record the, the I need to become the new Casey Neistat and make this ongoing vlog series or something, or I have to become the whatever, you know, I remember Rob Bell's Numa's back in the day or something. And it's like, okay, making original content can be good, but it can be really time consuming. And I think that's where repurposing content is where you can play really smart. I mean, I had a pastor once say, I, I know I should be on Twitter, but I don't know what to say. And I said to her, you preach a sermon like 48 Sundays a year. So take three sentences from each one. And those are three tweets. Oh, I can just take the thing I've already written and use that. Yes, that, that's where you can make your, your 60 second YouTube short TikTok from the recorded sermon content. You can repurpose it in these intentional places. Uh, and then I think additionally, the third thing, which maybe we should do most of, is curating content, recognizing there's already content out there. And as faith communities, we can simply let our congregants become aware of it. I mean, that can be the power of the retweet on Twitter or making some sort of like a you know playlist on your website of here's some resources or, or guides that the pastor or the clergy recommend. And I think that does two things. If a pastor or faith leader intentionally prioritizes curating content, even more than repurposing and creating original content, it, one, gives them more inputs. It, it diversifies who they're um, learning from and absorbing from. And then it also decenters them as the only, you know, God-sent authority. Suddenly, look at all these other, look at this great podcast by this guy named Chris. You should all check it out. You know, it lets you, you pass the mic and, and, and see other voices that have always been speaking, but we just often haven't been listening. So that's my, my kind of mindset on content itself is uh, creating original content, repurposing content, and curating content and making sure you are, are holding those all proportionally and appropriately. Yes, and I totally agree, especially on the repurposing piece, um, you know, because I've done some work here and um, um, I'm located in the Dallas area with some of the local digital marketing groups and like their big cry is content is king and we got to make this you know they're always struggling to get new content and create content and i'm just like well the church is like the one place i know that produces the most original content week in and week out yeah so like you said like oh take a couple of the sentences from the sermon and that can be some tweets hey you're recording the sermons now we can pull out some short form video and put that on, you know, anything from TikTok to Reels uh, on Instagram, and you know, so yeah, you know, it becomes this this repurposing. Um, we just we kind of have to put the systems in place to repurpose, and then you can you're off to the races, and you're you're engaging yeah. on those platforms. I mean, that's that's where we when the pandemic started, and we said we can't do coffee hour in person. Let's do virtual coffee hour. What are we going to do on that Zoom call after worship that's not just utter chaos of everyone's worst nightmare of family reunions on Zoom where either you're staring at the screen silently or everyone's talking at once? But then we said, okay, let's let's offer some sort of structure to it. So we have a one of our clergy kind of hosting the space each week, and they kind of facilitate the conversation with the preacher and with the congregants. But our thought was, okay, you you just preached a sermon. So we got to hear you for 20, maybe 25, sometimes 30 minutes, even at Riverside. 
I'm pretty sure you spent a lot of time working on that sermon. We're not going to let you get away with just 20 minutes of talking. Uh-huh. We know there's a bit more in you. So we would have, you know, a 30, 45 minute conversation with that sermon talkback. We're repurposing the sermon for this virtual coffee hour. And then we said, let's record the, the, the virtual coffee hour sermon talkback and repurpose that as a podcast. So we're repurposing the repurposed thing. And it takes a little bit of work but it doesn't take a ton. It takes, it takes a lot of intentionality exactly. and a little bit of work. And then suddenly we have, we're making things available in a greater depth in so many other ways. I love it. Can you say a little bit, because, you know, when you were introducing yourself or, or telling us about your role uh, at, at Riverside, I can't remember exactly when it was, you were talking about, you know, you wanted to be very intentional, especially when you went uh, remote about getting to know the people, the online congregants. And so do you have any strategies for, you know, because I hear a lot of pastors saying, well, I can see they're watching our, you know, they're worshiping on our online worship because, the, you know, the views and things, but I don't know who they are. So how, you know, what are some ideas or things you've tried to really get to know the people that are participating online? Yeah, well, I mean, one intentional thing at Riverside was rather than just knowing that this number existed because we can see the metrics on views or whatnot, or even at Riverside, we might know we've had members who've left New York. It was being intentional about seeing their names and then following up with them. Hey, Michael Thomas, I'm Jim Key, one of the pastors at Riverside. Nice to meet you. Where are you from? Oh, you're in, you're in Georgia. Oh, you're moving to South Carolina. Great. I'd love to just get to know you. So whether it's sometimes it's just a Facebook message, you know, an email exchange, Zoom calls with them, but it's the little work of reaching out. And then at times, you know, being someone they know that they have a pastor who is there for them, even if, because often we think, you know, location and proximity is where that resides. We just default to that. So if I can't get to the building, do I have a pastor I can, you know, call or, or go to? And I want, we wanted them to know, you, you do, you can contact any of the pastors at Riverside, but there's one in particular who's looking for you. So it just was, uh, I, I look at who's commenting and I look at who is who is actively participating in some of those ways. And then I try to always respond back to them and follow up with them and just find ways for them to stay connected and get involved. Uh, like one thing we've done at Riverside is now we're, we're back to having um, congregants in person in the building again for worship, but we still always have... Uh, uh, recorded content as a part of our worship service. So our online remote congregants can be scripture readers, or we've had like maybe three or four sermons preached recorded since we had congregants back in the building. So, you know, because we still want to make it possible for the online congregation to be not just peeking in through the windows and watching church happen, but we want them even in a live stream capacity to feel like they have the ability to participate and be a part of that experience. Um, so yeah, I just try to be intentional about knowing who those people are. Um, there, there was a season before the pandemic when my wife and I were traveling full time, uh, which is a whole other adventure. We lived in an airstream for a year, which was a whole lot of fun. And I, when we were traveling, I would kind of keep track of where our online congregants were. And if I was in their area, I would say, Hey, you want to go grab coffee together? And like, how, how, how often does someone who is considers their church, you know, thousands of miles away ever feel like they're going to get to have a pastor take them out to coffee. So it was that kind of like, let's, let's make that happen. Granted that hasn't happened much now since we're not really traveling a whole lot, but it's still that more than anything, it's the, the intentionality about being, being aware of who they are, where they are, getting to know what's happening in their lives and including them as part of the life of the community. No, I will say 
initially pre-pandemic, it was very much me getting to know these people. Now that everything has gone online and everyone was pushed online, we were online only up in from March 2020 until August 2021. The only way to go to church at Riverside was through YouTube Live and then the Zoom coffee hour. So during that season, these online congregants really became enmeshed in the life of the congregation. They were just, everyone was an online congregant. So now there's so much more integration of those online individuals and the in-person individuals and the relationships are forming. It's just really rich and, and, and wonderful and fulfilling to see. So my role is just to kind of keep an eye on it and get to know them and be someone who knows them as more than a number, but knows them as a name with a story and has a part in that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you're just intentional about that in in doing it in a digital way because i kind of think you know pastors do this all the time but they don't have to think about it because you know there's either hey you know you pretty much know when somebody's new on a sunday morning if you're church you know in in the average size church that's not too huge um, and you probably have a chance to shake their hand at the door or say hello and you know you know get to know them a little bit and start that conversation so it's a similar concept but you're just being intentional and making sure to get in those comments and um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the inevitable future. Uh, yeah. It's just the future finally caught up a little quicker because of the pandemic. This has always been, this is where the world has been and it's where the church needs to go uh, or else we're just going to continue to be, you know, a relic of an antiquated past. Uh, are, are we going to be rooted in our present and our future? I sure hope so. And I think, we, we need more and more pastors and faith leaders who, who see these digital spaces as real spaces. And we need them to recognize the power and importance of them and, and show up authentically in those spaces. Uh, I mean, at one point I thought it was going to take, you know, at least two generations till we had senior ministers in, in majority of churches who were kind of digital natives. The pandemic sped a lot of that up and we've all been pushed into this deep end. Uh, but now as we're returning, that's almost the, the bigger question. Now that churches are returning in person or experimenting in these hybrid spaces, it's very easy to default back to what we're used to. Like mm-hmm. if a church is live streaming their Sunday morning service, some are doing that now for the first time, or many have been doing it before that even. But I'm curious, where do people look? Where does the preacher look? The worship leader look? Where? What eyes are they looking into? Even if there are 50 people in the room and 500 people online, it's like our biological hardwiring to just look at the other warm bodies in the room. And we ignore that camera, which is where potentially hundreds or more of people could be engaging online. Exactly. I'm I'm a broken record about that at Riverside. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, because like you, I was at a church where we, I mean, we started live streaming in 2012. Um, but at that time, you know, all it was more, we were just kind of a camera in the back of the room. Yep. Just, you know, they're watching people worship is what I would say. Uh, yep. You know, and some of that was just, we had cameras in the wrong places and stuff. It was hard for the pastors to even look the camera in the lens and things. And, you know, and so we have to think, you know, it's not just throw a camera in there and hit record now. It's yeah. We have to think, rethink, how are we going to do this? Where does the pastor look? Um, you know, and I mean, and the truth of the matter is we're kind of good at this as a church. I mean, we have a word for it. You know, it's that whole rubric word that, you know, those red letters that are in, our, that are in some worship books with all those instructions. I mean, we've had instructions for hundreds of years. We just need to yeah, update yeah. them now, um, for, you know, for for what that looks like. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. Looking at those cameras, because I would say that when we were 
totally one of the things I miss online is when we were totally remote at the church I attend, um, you know, yeah, I was like in the pastor's living room, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so it was real easy for the pastor. Yeah. She's always looking in the camera and like talking right to you. And now they're doing hybrid and they're trying. I, I don't want to, yep. I mean, I I'm excited with what they're trying, but it, there is some intimacy that's being, that's been lost. Um, and I, I think, especially in those hybrid moments, that's where I think eye contact with the camera is more important than ever. I think it does two very clear things. Number one, it reinforces that sense of connection and intimacy with the online viewer. I mean, it's like we're on a video call right now. I'm looking right into the camera. But if I start talking to you like this, you're like, who are you talking to? It just feels a little off camera then. So it, it, it reminds the online worshiper that we see you and we're talking directly to you. And this is a space just for you. And then the other thing, though, I think this is where it might be awkward, but extended periods of eye contact with the camera. Imagine what that does to the other people in the room. Wait a minute. Why isn't she looking at me right now? Oh, wait a minute. There are more people worshiping than just in the room. It just reinforces and reminds all of us who all of us is. My, my rule of thumb is you should spend most of your time looking at most of the people and some of the time looking at all of the people. But you need to know then where are most of the people at? Um, right now at Riverside, we have more people worshiping online than we do showing up in person. But the default eye contact, not to throw my own church under the bus, tends to go back to the people in the room. Uh, and so it's always that sense of, are we aware of who's with us? Even if they're not physically in the room, they are still very, really present with us. Maybe we'll have to, uh, you know, like what they were doing at sporting events, putting in the cutouts of people. Maybe we'll have to put cutouts, but with like with cameras, though, in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, sporting sporting events, I mean, talk about hybrid hybrid events. Professional sports have nailed hybrid events much longer than any of us. I mean, but granted, what they do is they create kind of two different experiences. You have two different announcers. So, I mean, that's what's unique. Churches are still trying to create a unified hybrid experience, not this, you know, dissected, bifurcated hybrid experience. So we, we got to kind of pick a route and know how we're going to do it and then know what the constraints are, what the shortcomings are. And Anyway, so a lot of my time at Riverside is this stuff. I just think a lot about this and think about how these little changes make a big impact and what we can do more intentionally. And, and, and you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that. Well, I, and I, I like that it's just, you know, I mean, what I've enjoyed about our conversation today and the podcast is just that, you know, it, it's, it's more about, you know, doing the ministry you've already been doing, but we're looking for those ways to integrate it online. Um, and to me, I hope that's a message of hope to our listeners that, you know, that in one sense, you know, they always, when there's some new thing, we always go, well, they should teach that in seminary. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, and the more and like, I don't know how you teach. I mean, it's like you were taught how to do ministry in seminary. Good. Now let's, all you need to do now is like, how do you apply that online? And that's just honestly thinking through what you already know and what that foundation is. Because the online is continuously changing that, you know, if you learn Facebook today, you know, I mean, Facebook probably is not going to be as dominant in another five years. So well, by the time this podcast comes out, it might not even be called Facebook anymore. Oh, that the is rumor true. is they're, they're, they might be announcing it on October 28th, which I think by the time people hear this will be in the past. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, it may not be Facebook. And uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I got to pay attention tomorrow. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we're, we're recording this on the 27th, by the way. Uh, anyways, um, so we're just about out of time, and I have one more question for you. 
Uh, what would be your one piece of advice that you would offer to your colleagues uh, in the realm of digital ministry? Or, or maybe multiple pieces of advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so it can be very easy to look at the kind of landscape of digital ministry, online church, the internet, and, and just see so many things that we weren't taught in seminary and so many things that are constantly changing. Uh, I mean, just if you wanted to list the, the, the most popular social networks right now, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram might still be the Holy Trinity, but you know, there's so many others that keep popping up from, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, Clubhouse, Fireside, you know, what, what all, all these things that exist uh, and to go on. And on. I, I think the biggest thing I want everyone to know is um, when it comes to all the things you, you can't do and you shouldn't do all the things uh, because then you're just going to exhaust yourself even more than you already are. You're going to burn out more quickly than you're already on trajectory for. And just, I, I like to think why, uh, why half-ass anything when I could full-ass one or two things? So pick the things that are, are most salient for you and your community, that are most energizing for you as an individual, because if you're energized by it, you'll actually be you know, motivated to keep trying and tinkering and playing with it and just go there. So it might just be, all right, we, we're just going to really double down on our Facebook presence as a church, and we're going to do what we do as a church, and we're going to find ways to intentionally integrate it into Facebook or into Twitter or into YouTube. YouTube, I think, is definitely a good uh, bet for every church. They're the, they're the second most viewed website in the world and the second most used search engine in the world. Google wins both of those categories. So, you know, just prioritize what you want to do and run in that direction. Don't think you have to do it all. Uh, because then you're just going to not do much of anything. Exactly. Well, thank you. That's all the time we have today. I want to say thanks to the Reverend Jim Keat for being our guest on how we do digital ministry. I want you to make sure to follow this podcast or subscribe uh, on YouTube. Um, so, Jim, how can our listeners find you online and follow you? Absolutely. You can find uh, the things that Riverside is doing over at trcnyc.org. Org. That's the church's website. My work with Convergence is at convergenceus.org. Or uh, the easy way to find all of that and more that I'm involved in is at my own website, jimkeat.com, J-I-M-K-E-A-T.com. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, we'd love to connect with you in another way, too. We ask all of y'all listening to join our private Facebook group cleverly titled How We Do Digital Ministry. The link will be in the show notes. It's a great place to discuss all things digital um, and ministry related with uh, colleagues from around the globe uh, so that you can continue this discussion for the next uh, for the next week until a new episode drops. Uh, until next week, peace and blessings to you all. <laughs>